Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Forbidden Speech, The Raw Truth, with your host, Christina Rivera. In this savvy broadcasting series, we delve into hot topics affecting us all. With cancel culture and big tech censoring any opposing ideas and thoughts outside of mainstream ideology, it has become more important than ever that we tell the raw truth about everything from U.S. world politics, COVID, Christianity, and everything in between. We invite all points of view to come and share their perspective honestly and respectfully. Hi, Roger. Welcome to Savvy's newest series, The Forbidden Speech, The Raw Truth. We're so grateful to have you here. Besides being an amazing author and journalist, you're also the senior fellow with the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. You've written three wonderful books and one that we're going to hit on today that is very important, uh, The First Thousand Days. People do not realize how important The First Thousand Days are for mothers and their children. And you've done so much in the way of you know, enlightening people to childhood hunger and that it's just not a problem overseas. It's actually even a problem in the U.S. So welcome to Savvy. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Delighted to join. Thanks for raising thanks for raising this issue and raising the clamor, as we say. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't want to get your last name uh, incorrect. So say your last name, your full name for everyone. Uh, Roger is my first name. Uh, Thoreau is how I pronounce it, but I'll answer to Thoreau. Uh, whatever you want to say, it's fine. Thoreau is good. Awesome. So that way, if anyone wants to make contact with you afterward, but yeah, what brought you on this whole journey of fighting world hunger and, and, you know, really bringing awareness to this? How did this come about for you? Yeah. So I had been a foreign correspondent with the wall street journal for 20 years, uh, and was with the journal for 30 years overall. Um, and it was uh, kind of in the midst of all that re- foreign reporting, mainly based in Europe and then in Africa, South Africa uh, in particular, uh, where then I really started looking into uh, and covering stories of 
humanitarian stories, stories of uh, uh, development uh, issues, and was kind of writing about uh, in in the early part of this uh, century, this new millennium of ours. Uh, you know, after nine uh, eleven, um, in the president's kind of first joint session of Congress. And I was based in Switzerland, in Zurich, not writing about, you know, the banks and and financial issues for the Wall Street Journal, but but, but about these humanitarian and development issues. And in that address, uh, President Bush said something like, uh, you know, I I imagine uh, that you, my fellow Americans, are asking the same question that I and the members of my administration are asking. Why do they hate us so much? Why? What? 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 What is behind these attitudes and 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 motives uh, that would cause such uh, uh, such attacks and such actions? Mm-hmm. And I was watching that, and I said, "Oh, I've got a couple of ideas." That from being overseas all that time and reporting on global issues, you know, it's you, you can see kind of the the impact, the un, the unintended impact many times of kind of American policies, Western policies. Uh, on people living around the world. And so I discussed with the editors of the Wall Street Journal, and they said, yeah, let's look into that. One of the first things we came to or started looking into was uh, the impact of the Farm Bill uh, on, on, you know, the impact and, 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 and the global agriculture trade uh, on particularly smallholder farmers around the world. And then was asking the question of why are the smallholder farmers in particular Africa so far behind farmers uh, basically everywhere, everywhere else in the world. And what was leaving us with this horrible, uh, cruel irony of that the hungriest people in the world are smallholder farmers. So this hideous, obscene oxymoron of hungry farmers. So while reporting on that, it was in, in 2003, here comes that the first great hunger crisis of the 21st century. In Ethiopia, 14 million people on the doorstep of starvation you know, surviving if they're going to survive at all by the by 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 the food aid distribution, uh, by the World Food Program. A lot of it coming from the United States and supported by the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so, it was you know looking at that and and on that. So went to Ethiopia first day in Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia. Uh, I'm speaking with people at the at the World Food Program, and one of them says, you know, Roger, it was a piece of advice, but to me it sounded like a fairly ominous warning. Looking into the eyes of someone dying of hunger becomes a disease of the soul. Mm. What you see is that nobody should have to be dying of hunger, particularly not now in 2003, three years into this grand new millennium of ours, into this 21st century. What, what madness is driving us that we have brought this medieval suffering with us into the 21st century? And that was basically then the start of looking into this issue. And I realized, you know, that, that then what we saw kind of in the emergency feeding tents uh, you know, looking, you know, and, and really looking at the human aspects and the, the human faces and emotions and the people behind these horrible hunger statistics uh, and this hunger and malnutrition that we had brought with us into the 21st century. That did become a disease of the soul for me, in essence, that that became the, the, the motivating factor of my journalism, of my passion as a journalist. This is the story I thought that all my reporting had led up, had led me to at that time and continues to writing about hunger and malnutrition in the 21st century and the various aspects of it. So that eventually leads me away from the Wall Street Journal now to writing books uh, mm-hmm. on this issue. And so, yeah, it's this, this disease soul that continues to propel me. And what brings me to your podcast? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm so grateful that you have uh, reported on it and brought light to it because you've written not just one book, you've written three books. Enough was the first one. The next one, The Last Hunger Season, and then the final one that we're talking about and going more deeply into today, which is Thousand Days, uh, the first thousand days, which is so important. And we talked uh, before the interview on another call that even in the U.S., where we have a super abundance of food, that there are people and kids growing up malnourished. And I thought, wow, that can't happen. And it is because a lot of the food with the preservatives and whatever are actually not even really food. It's it's like, I don't know, they're filling themselves with stuff, but it's not really sustainable. It doesn't have nutrients in it. It just, it balled my mind that even here where there's an abundance, we could have people who are malnourished. Yep, absolutely. So it, it, it's it's... Yeah, it's not the most nutritious food and oftentimes kind of the least nutritious food that families in the United States. And there's an increasing number of them, particularly during the COVID uh, pandemic, as we've seen in in all the the kind of the epic, you know, television coverage and photos and stories of these epic lines of people in in lines at the food pantries, at the food banks and these pop up food distribution points, you know, in parking lots and whatever. And it's like. Wow. So what's happening? Um, and that hunger has has and, and, and food insecurity has always has always been here. But it's a matter that this has really brought it to the fore. I think one thing and Christina, to, to really amplify what you're saying is that, you know, certainly during COVID, we've realized that, look, there is no over there anymore in this world. It's all here. Uh, and so that, you know, there are no borders that will prevent you know, pandemics from sweeping around the world. There's no borders that 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 stop the impact of childhood malnutrition in one part of the world or one country or one region of the world. It's an issue that that, you know, impacts all of us and continues to abide um, with us. And so that. Uh, yeah. And it, and it, 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 it manifests itself in various uh, forms. And so in the first thousand days book. I follow moms and their children through this thousand day period, which is from the time that a mom first becomes pregnant to the second birthday of the child. It's about a thousand days. Uh, so follow moms and their children through that thousand day period in India, Uganda, Guatemala, and then Chicago uh, here in the United States to show, look, that it is also a problem uh, here. And a lot of times it's just affordability, accessibility. Uh, uh, two foods, um, and its poverty is, is is at the basis of it. Just kind of all sorts of then fundamental uh, yeah. issues of equality, of 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 inequality, of injustice, uh, in in uh, you know as I said, issues of poverty uh, that are you know of an abiding uh, systemic uh, nature, and we see that all over the world. Yeah. Now, now it's. It's interesting to me because I didn't know how important I had seen a documentary a while back with, I think you, Oliver Stone. I know was it Oliver, um, a guy from UK that came into the U S to try to bring nutrition. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it was interesting because there was a, a Hispanic family they had talked to and they said, we want to buy fruits and vegetables for our children, but guess what? It's cheaper to get a burger at McDonald's, like the dollar burgers, than to get broccoli, which is a dollar fifty or two dollars, which we can't afford that. And how how is that going to fill them up? Whereas opposed to getting a burger at McDonald's, that will fill them up, and they'll get the bread and the meat, and it might not be as nutritious, but we're giving them something to eat. So, 
what can we begin to change and shift that? Because if the nutritious food that families can't afford, if they're on the, you know, economic, um, make less money and whatever, what can we do to shift that? Because fruits and vegetables should be the, the first thing that kids go to. Yep, well, it, it, exactly. So there's a lot of talk going on globally, but then also in the United States. Uh, and we've seen kind of the start of it now with the Biden administration, the USDA, uh, kind of taking a look at the, 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 the thrifty food, you know, basket or calculations in terms of, of what they were calculating, you know, the SNAP benefits. So the food stamp, uh, benefits, uh, as it used to be called. So the SNAP, the supplemental nutrition program, uh, that, you know, and, and, and have raised that realizing that, uh, yeah, the SNAP benefits that were there were based on, you know, prices that were really outmoded. They hadn't hadn't changed and improved that for a long time. So looking at well, what is the cost of nutritious foods and the foods that, you know, would be most beneficial to people uh, that that are receiving the, 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 the SNAP benefits. So by kind of adjusting that, that they hadn't done for a long time. So that's kind of one step. Uh, and can I ask you something? My, my grandma and I, my grandma lived in Manhattan. I don't know how feasible this is, but she used to grow vegetables on the fire escape. And yeah. I know it's not technically supposed to do that but is that feasible for some families to like maybe make their own food so that they've got an option if they can't get it at the grocery store sure community gardens kind of anything anywhere where, where you can grow gardens kind of on your balcony you know in in kind of the the, the flower beds that may be hanging you know kind of outside a window or something if you can go yeah. grow herbs there or tomatoes or beans or cucumbers or whatever you can grow there that all helps because it's 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 healthy. It's 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 that nutritious food. It's the vegetables, uh, you know, that then are so important and, and vital. So there's a lot of 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 kind of simpler, um, you know, programs like that. They don't all have to be like big, huge federal programs yeah. that are addressing this. So there are things that individuals can do. But then there's kind of also this systemic, you know, nature of of let's improve you know, the access, the affordability kind of across society, uh, uh, you know, to these foods. Mm. Now, one thing I was curious about when I saw your book is why the first thousand days? Why is that so important for mother and child? What 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 about that thousand days is so imperative for getting good nutrition? Yeah, great question. So the thousand days has always been there. So it's not it's not a new period. So it is time of, of life. What is new is that kind of now the recognition of how fundamentally important that is, particularly on the nutritional front and the, and, and the access to, to proper good nutrition in that period that there is for the mom during pregnancy and then, and then the child developing the womb, uh, t- solely dependent on the foods that the mom is eating at that time and the good nutrition, uh, hopefully, that the mom uh, can have. And then after birth and then, you know, as one gets into as if, if if, if the child is breastfeeding and that is coming from, you know, the, the, the nutrients that the mom is, is, is eating. Uh, and then what's complementary and solid feeding then begins with the child. The good nutrition is so important. It's, it's that period is the most important period. These first thousand days in the healthy physical development of a child setting the good, the, the proper foundation for uh, uh, the, the, the growth, uh, both physically and also the cognitive development of the child. There are so many things that are going on in the development of the brain uh, in that time, uh, already while the, 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 the child is in the womb and then in these first couple of years after birth, uh, all these neural synapses and everything going on with the neural connections uh, that is so fundamental 
uh, is all fueled by uh, good nutrition mm. that the mom and the baby uh, are are eating. So it's it's the most fundamental, the, the most important time in the development of individuals. Mm. But then, by extension, the most important time, the most critical time for the development, uh, the healthy and strong growth and development of families, of yeah. communities, of societies of a whole, of of, of countries. Mm. and the world as a whole. I mean, we talk about, well, the children are our future. Well, yes, they are, naturally. Uh, then why aren't we insisting that all of our children, no matter where they are, get off to the best start possible in life? Mm-hmm. And that begins with the proper nutrition in these first thousand days. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I had a friend a number of years back who had two children back to back, and she was kind of um, very poor. And I remember her telling me, well, she ate a lot of the put-together fast kind of fried foods and whatever. And later on, her two children were born with autism. And she, hmm. you know, lent it to me. Was it my nutrition? Did I help cause this? And I was like, you know, you can't go there. And, you know, maybe it's just genetic. Maybe it had nothing to do with their nutrition. Right. Maybe it helped. But you're right. I mean, uh, the best thing you can do, like you said, developmentally to help the child neuro- neurologically and, and in their body and go forward, it's going to a best start, at least with nutrition. If they do have something genetic, well, maybe you can't help there, but at least you give them the best foot st- forward and the best chance going forward. Yeah, exactly. So here's one. So in, in, in my writing, um, you know, I, I try to, my mantra as a journalist uh, and as an author is to outrage and inspire. So mm-hmm. outrage kind of, you know, on this topic that, no, my goodness, what's wrong with us that we have brought hunger and malnutrition in, with us into the 21st century? Mm-hmm. In the book, The First Thousand Days, I think the biggest outrage is, is that basically one in every four children in our world today, under five years old, one in every four is stunted in some manner because of childhood malnutrition. Mm-hmm. What stunting is, there's a clinical definition for it, and an academic and scientific and medical definition for it. And that's basically, you know, that one is too short for age, right? So it's a height for age uh, coefficient. And, okay, well, you can get your mind around that. But what that really is, what is stunting? It's it's a horrible, brusque, rude word, stunted, stunting. Mm -hmm. What that is, it's basically a life sentence of underachievement and uh, underperformance, which is basically rendered by the time a child is two years old. So what that means is, what, what, what are we losing? Uh, what might a child have accomplished for all of us? Mm-hmm. Were they not malnourished and stunted physically and mentally, and particularly the cognitive development, mm-hmm. in that first thousand-day period? Look, it's, it's, it's like a song not written or, or, or a song not sung or a poem not written or a novel not imagined or some, a, a gadget not developed or, or you know, an innovation not nurtured, a cure not discovered, a horizon okay. not explored. This lost chance of greatness for any child in the world becomes a lost chance of greatness for us all. And that is a loss that is, that is profoundly uh, staggering when you think. But again, one in every four children under five years old in the world are stunted because of, 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 of childhood malnutrition. Stunted children become stunted adults. Mm-hmm. It's something that goes with us all through life. So again, that, you know, it's not just over there. Yeah. So a stunted child anywhere in the world, then we can see becomes a stunted child everywhere because we don't know what they could have accomplished for all of us. So where, where are the solutions? What's the great solutions that anyone listening today can start to take in their community, where they are, to help end this? 
Yeah, I think one to like raise awareness, educate your, yourself on, on this, what's going on in the local community. I think what we've seen during the pandemic is that hunger, food security is everywhere in our communities. It's in our neighborhoods. It's in our schools. Uh, it's in the people, you know, that may be next to us in our houses of worship. Uh, you know, people that we're encountering kind of every day in, the, in, in, in you know, while out shopping, uh, while out running air, any errands or something. It's everywhere. Uh, and we've seen that in all these, you know, the, the long lines. And maybe before we would look at them and we'd look at the food banks and the food pantries and say, oh, well, that's too bad. I wonder, I, I wonder what happened to them. What, what, what did they do wrong? Now we realize no, they haven't done anything wrong. Yeah. The economy's gone bad. The supply chain has, has disintegrated. You know, uh, uh, there's illnesses. There's, there's poverty issues that are behind all of this. Mm-hmm. So to kind of look at that in a more, in certainly a much more compassionate and empathetic uh, manner, educate yourself, but then also raise that question, you know, with politicians, whenever they come by, with decision makers, Anytime you're at a city council or, or kind of a county meeting or a state meeting or something, why do we have this problem in our neighborhoods, in our state, in our communities, in our country, in our world, right? Yeah. What does that say about us? Why do we tolerate that we still have this, this, this food insecurity uh, mm-hmm. among us? And if it's every, you know, one out of seven or one out of 10, you know, adults or, you know, one out of, you know, seven families with children or one out of every five family in our country that that is facing some kind of food insecurity, which is basically defined as, you know, at some time, you know, during the month, during the year, those families are worried about where's the next meal coming from in terms of affordability. We don't have time to prepare anything, but where's that money coming? Where's that meal coming from financially, affordability wise, uh, to get involved in these issues in your communities? What's going on at the food banks? at the food pantries, you know, these issues of, okay, what can we do with community gardens? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the, what, what are the possibilities here? Who are the organizations that are working in those areas? What can we do at schools to make the, 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 that the school breakfast and lunch programs, these federally mandated programs that they're as nutritious and healthy as possible. Mm-hmm. How do we end, how do we end the food deserts in our midst? Yeah. I love that you're mentioning that because um, it's not just about just having something to fill people, but filling them with good, nutritious food that tastes great, too. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that they found that was hard uh, for, for kids to eat vegetables if they're not used to it is the idea that it tastes yucky. But you can make even, you know, nutritious foods taste great. And, uh, right. you know, but first you got to be able to afford them. <laughs> right. So for them and, 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 and that they're accessible. And that's the thing. Yeah kind of with food deserts that, you know, kind of within a certain radius of, of where a person might live, you know, there aren't, there, there is no uh, uh, ready access to, in terms of say, you know, driving or even walking distance to fresh fruits and vegetables, to, you know, fresh dairy products, fresh, fresh meats, fresh animal sourced proteins and things, if that's what one wants to consume. Uh, that, and, 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 uh, you know, in the, the, the absence of them, that there is then this overabundance of fast food, right? So, in the book, the first thousand days, so as I said, so part of the part of the place, one of the areas and regions of the world that I'm following, moms and children, is in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And at that time, when I was doing the reporting, and the mayor of Chicago was Rahm Emanuel, and he said, you know, I and, and Chicago was the first major city to be mapped for food deserts, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ten, fifteen or so years ago whenever that was. And he says that, you know, where there's a food desert, 
he also sees like an opportunity desert because where there's a food desert, there's most likely also a health desert, a healthcare desert, a jobs desert, a security desert, all these kind of issues and, and, and kind of social issues and problems that we're facing then kind of match up with the food deserts, right? So that all that is bound together. And he says, I worry about kind of the generation that is growing up thinking that the place where you get food is uh, uh, liquor stores uh, and gas stations, right? Mm -hmm. Is that where they get their food at? Is that their expectations, right? Just because there may not be, there's no grocery stores in these areas. Now I live in Alabama. Mm -hmm. I'm at Auburn University in in addition to the Chicago Council on Global Affairs and a a scholar and resident at the Hunger Solutions Institute here at Auburn, the College of Human Sciences. And, you know, as you go around to the uh, cities and the rural cities in in Alabama in particular, you kind of find all sorts of areas where there's no grocery stores. There's counties where there's no, like, you know, grocery stores, as as we would imagine. They might be smaller mom-and-pop things or, or, or you know, it, it's, again, getting food from, from gas stations or from dollar stores uh, or something. And yeah. it's like, wow. So these food deserts are not just kind of something that's in an urban area or in a city, but they're kind of throughout, they're out there throughout rural areas as well. And so yeah. it's, just, it's, 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 it's where's that access to affordable uh, foods and particularly more nutritious foods. But that also has to go like with our with the structure of our food system. Yeah. You know, no, I what, totally, I get, I totally get you, Roger. We could go on for hours here, but absolutely. we uh, we do have to close on. I appreciate uh, that. Yeah, but you know what? I don't want them to leave without finding out how they can get a copy of your book and find out more. Uh, the first thousand days. How can they do that and find out more about you? Uh, yes, they can go to uh, wherever you buy books at, particularly online. I mean, if it's Amazon. Uh, you know, uh, Barnes and Noble, wh- wh- wherever you're getting books uh, online can go there. Uh, either just, you know, type in my name or the first thousand days booked and kind of all the three books uh, will come up. Uh, I have a kind of a web, you know, page that's part of the suite of, of sites at the Chicago Council. Um, that is it's called Outrage and Inspire dot uh, org. So you can look there or find more background on me, just, you know, type my name into your, 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 your Google search, uh, and it'll come up. And what I can also do is, uh, uh, I can send some links, uh, to you, Christine, if you want to then post them somehow on, uh, uh, kind of digital storytelling that we've done in addition to the book, uh, on the first thousand days. So one can, you know, it's, it's more visual, it's more graphic. And there, there's also one story about, uh, uh, he was a young boy at the time. Now he's a young adult uh, that I followed uh, in Ethiopia from when I first met him in an emergency feeding tent in, the two, in 2003 to now that he's about 20, 21 years old. Uh, and and it, the last time I visited him in 2019, he was in the fourth grade. Uh, wow. And so there you can see kind of the the, the impact of, of certainly the the, the 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 hunger in the malnutrition in the early years of life and the impact that has throughout a person's life. Uh, and again, we see then from a malnourished child, stunted child, to adulthood and what the, what the true impact of malnutrition, particularly in the first thousand days is. So I can send links to you Absolutely. on those Thank and if you. you can post them and share them with all your uh, uh, with all your followers and listeners, that would be great. 
I will. Well, it's been such a great pleasure having you out here, Roger Thero, uh, to share your great expertise and to get everyone revved up and outraged uh, yes. and, and, and <laughs> learning more about this and what they can do in their community. Thank you so much, Roger, for coming today. Thank you. And I appreciate your time. And sorry for uh, yeah, maybe talking too much, but I, I, I warn people, don't get me started. Don't you get me started passion. on these it's issues awesome. because, uh, yeah, we'll keep going. But thank you so much for, for raising the clamor on this issue. You bet. You have a wonderful day. Thank you, Roger. Thank you. Like, subscribe, and share this episode. To listen to more Forbidden Speech or Savvy episodes, visit SavvyBroadcasting.com. To find out about our paid sponsorship opportunities or how to become a guest, email Christina at LifeUnscriptedRadio.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.